1: Hey, folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we want to congratulate Ian on the success of his book, The Road Back to You, an Enneagram journey to self-discovery, having sold over 200,000 copies now. If you haven't read The Road Back to You, you can grab it at Amazon, iTunes, or wherever your local books are sold, so make sure you grab a copy. And we recognize that we have a large worldwide listening audience, but for those of you who live in the U.S. and have just finished celebrating the Thanksgiving holidays, or those of you who are traveling abroad and celebrate Thanksgiving, we hope you had a happy holidays and you are recovering from all that turkey and stuffing that you have eaten. Hey, lastly, before we get to today's show, we want to thank our listening audience for helping Typology to become such a success with over 3 million downloads. That's right. Thank you all so much for listening and for sharing with your friends and with your family all of the great work that Ian is doing. Speaking of Ian, that's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And without further ado, now here is the host of our show, Ian Cron.
0: So our guest today is uh, Jonathan Merritt. Uh, And for those of you who don't know him, he's a contributing writer for The Atlantic and a contributing editor for The Week. He's one of America's most prolific and trusted faith and culture writers. He's published more than 3,000 articles. 3,000 articles, Jonathan?
2: That's that is the count. Somebody did that somewhere. Man, you got you you, you got to get
0: out a little more. Um he's published more than 3000 articles in outlets such as the New York Times, USA Today, National Journal, Christianity Today, Washington Post and CNN.com, author of numerous critically acclaimed books including his latest Jesus is No, that's not your latest. Your your, your latest book
2: the latest uh, book is is Learning to Speak God from Scratch.
0: Oh, what a great title. But your last mm-hmm. one was Jesus Is Better Than You Imagined.
2: Yes, that's correct. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow, great, great titles, man. Well, <laughs> well welcome to Typology. We're 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 really glad you're here.
2: Oh, it's it is my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this.
0: Great. So um before the show, you and I were talking and I as I uh, often do I, I ask a guest so tell me you know what you'd like to talk about if anything uh, on the show is there a hot topic that you'd like to jump into you're an Enneagram 3 the achiever or the, or the performer someone whose underlying motivation is a need to succeed and to uh, appear successful and to avoid failure at all costs now, what did you tell me when we were talking about, about topics early on? I want folks to hear about it.
2: Well, I said, you know, that uh, I, I don't really talk a lot about me. Uh, I talk about my work. So I write an article. Somebody wants to do uh, a radio show. They want me to come on. I'm happy to talk about a, a, a subject a thing outside of myself, mm. but if the if the subject is myself, uh, <laughs> typically, uh, I'll I will just respectfully decline the interview. It's I don't I don't like to sort of uh, be the the subject of conversation. Um, but I, I I think this is a really interesting format. I think what you're doing is is really fascinating, and it is all about um, interpersonal reflection. And so I said, you know what? Let's I'm going to take the the walls down. Uh, for this one and and i'm i'm willing to kind of go there and and i'd love to explore some of the shadow side of what it means to be a three i'm very familiar with those things and i bet there are a lot of people listening this who are
0: well that's great because uh as i mentioned to you and as i think uh some of our uh our audience knows that the 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 as a therapist the the person who's had the most influence on me is Carl Jung. So we've got plenty to talk about in terms of uh-huh. of, uh, of the shadow. For folks who don't know what the shadow is, um, actually, Jung would have just said, it's everything inside your unconscious. You know, it's, it's essentially where we put all those things about ourselves that, uh, as little kids, we were told— we're incompatible with what our family or culture, uh, uh, you know, wanted us to be, and so we end up amputating and exiling uh, those parts of ourselves that uh, are important to the shadow, and uh, and as a result, you know, we kind of live incomplete lives, right? So it sounds like you've done some shadow work. Is that fair to say?
2: I have. Um, You know, some of it has been brought on, interestingly enough, and I've never talked about this before. But a few years ago, uh, I came down with uh, a chronic pain disorder out of nowhere. Uh, I I went and saw doctor after doctor after doctor. You know, living in New York City, I've got access to some pretty good doctors. And uh, every one of them was sort of befuddled. You know, it started as tingling in the hands, spread to the arms, to the neck, to the back. And uh, there was a doctor a few years ago at uh, New York University uh, who, whose name was uh, John Sarno. And John Sarno did a lot of work uh, on kind of exploring your childhood wounds, exploring some of those, those um, deep um, traumas that often stem from your formative stages early in life. And I've had a lot of those. I've had a lot of, I'm a child, I'm a survivor of abuse. Uh, I grew up in a, a fundamentalist Christian home. Uh, so I, I have, my my childhood is sort of a story of trauma upon trauma upon trauma. And I've really come to realize that a lot of my pain management happens from confronting uh, those in particular what jung would say what freud would say is sort of the that unconscious raging child inside of me and so as a 3 as a performer i have i i'm expending a lot of energy in my day to day uh projecting something create creating a, and maintaining jonathan merritt inc if mm-hmm. you will Right. And what I'm realizing is is that's come with a cost, a co- an emotional cost, a psychological cost, a relational cost, and I believe even now a cost to my own physical well-being.
0: Mm. All right, so tell us about for as as a 3 through the lens of the enneagram what you've learned about this this raging child in in your shadow.
2: You know, I I I grew up in a I I I'm I'm a child of a of a performer, so I, I get it honest. Uh I'm a child of a of a very successful megachurch pastor. He my dad was president of the Southern Baptist Convention, which was, you know, is the hmm. the nation's largest Protestant denomination. He's a TBN preacher, he's an author. And so I kind of grew up uh pun intended in his shadow. And uh, I, I, I sort of um, cut my teeth in that in that kind of environment where everyone is always watching you. You know, I, I remember growing up. And of course, if you're a PK <laughs> listening to this, you have a story or, or quite a few stories similar to this. I remember we'd, we'd be driving in the minivan uh, on the way to church fighting like cats and dogs. And we would pull in the church parking lot and my parents, one one or the other, would turn around and say, okay, we're at church now, get, we, I need you to get out of here and you've got to behave. You're a merit and we're going to behave like merits behave. And so we would get out and we'd put our arms around each other and we would love each other and we would, you know, ev- our, our comments to each other were saccharine and sweet, even though deep down we wanted to rip each other's heads off. And so there, there was this kind of um, learned uh, performance that that went on uh, with my in my childhood, and I think that, as a child, creates a certain level of of unconscious rage. Uh, the pressure that's placed on a child mm-hmm. and the anger that that creates, where you where there's sort of this um, feeling that why do I why do I have to act? better than everyone else why why am i having to perform at a level higher than everyone else why is there more expected of me than of other kids and i didn't realize that at the time but i think i've realized later in life that there was a lot of uh, rage sadness uh, emotions that were stuffed down inside of me uh and and now i've seen the ways in which uh those emotions have kind of expressed themselves in a, in in kind of through other avenues even the physical avenue
0: mhm yeah jung said something to the effect that you know whatever's in the shadow that you don't face will uh leak out and and you'll call it fate you know mm-hmm. or or an event uh mm-hmm. of some kind uh you'll, you won't be able to trace it back to its to the headwaters of it you know
2: mhm
0: so you know um it sounds like you're a pretty you know self aware 3 because you're talking about a lot of feelings here you know and 3s are not naturally self reflective you know they 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 mm. don't tend to be internally focused so much as externally focused they they're more concerned when they're not very healthy with appearance versus substance right uh-huh. so um what you, you know, this guy Sarno threw you into this land of you know looking at your uh, your issues, quote unquote. Uh, what what on earth was that like for you as a three? I mean that that's pretty terrifying territory.
2: I, I would imagine. You know, it, it the there I, I would attribute this to two events. That if if the these two events hadn't happened, I would probably be the unhealthiest three. Uh, still, that ever existed. And in some ways, you know, I'm still working through that. But uh, prior to turning 30, uh, I had uh, I, I was, I was outed publicly. And that drove me to, for the first time ever, uh, doing some really intensive counseling work. And it was not done, uh, it was not something I wanted to do, it was something I, I really felt like I had no choice but to do. And, you know, it'd be one thing if I think if you could, if I sat with a, a counselor, you know, I've been to seminary twice. Uh, I'm fairly sharp on these sorts of things. I could run circles around somebody an hour a month. But when you're, you're stuck in a room with somebody three hours a day on the heels of a, of a, of a traumatic event like that, you're sort of laid bare. And it was it was a horrible event to go through. I don't think anybody should ever go through that 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 sort of um, your story is your story, And when somebody else tells your story, it's it's a really tragic thing. And yet, and yet, uh it forced me to do some work I might not otherwise uh, have done. So for two weeks, in intensive counseling with somebody who was very gifted. Uh, I began the the process of excavating uh, things that I didn't even know were there. You know, I went out uh, expecting to have a conversation about sexuality. And I, we didn't really talk that much about sexuality. We talked about family issues. We talked about parental uh, strains and stresses. Uh, we talked about childhood wounds. We talked about all kinds of traumas Um but sexuality was not really the sort of the key issue for me. I thought it was, but it wasn't. Um, the second uh, event was this, this event of what I believe is, in part, uh, psychosomatic pain. And I really, I, I was to the point, I wasn't suicidal, but I got to the point where I remember having a thought where I had been, in, I was in so much pain, I could only work. And you know, this, this <laughs> stress this this uh, can can bring on a three. I could only work about three hours a day. You know, after that, I it was panic attacks and everything else. So I was almost bedridden. I'm living in New York City, so I'm surrounded by uh, people who are incredibly successful. I mean, you 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 knock over somebody on the road; they're a Wall Street banker or a a film producer. Or, you know, I mean, it, it really is is kind of uh, Disneyland for threes. And so that creates an, another set of presser, pressure and, and strain. And if I didn't believe that I had to go deeper, deeper into my own emotions, deeper into my own psychology in order to heal, I never would have done it. Uh, so I think that I did that first level of excavation out of, again, out of necessity, and then out of uh, necessity physical, uh, necessity. I had to do it, uh, even even a, a level deeper. And now I, I've spent some time with, really, this uh, an octogenarian woman who's a an Upper West Side Jew who's kind of the elder stateswoman of of uh, psychosomatic psychology in New York. She does doesn't see a lot of people these days, but. It has been a process where she really gets in my face. It's mm. not like talk therapy. She really gets in my face and forces me to look in the mirror. And it has been a process of breaking and healing by turns.
0: Mm. So if you were, and I hope you do one day, if, but if you were to write a book about that experience, what would the title be?
2: Oh my gosh! Now that is that is a good uh, question. Huh. I man, I'd have to think about that because because there there is there is something about um, I, I I have to be really careful with this when I talk about pain because I feel I feel sort of torn. I feel torn with the way the church talks about pain. Uh, you know, I find you, you run to the, to the communities, whether it's like Word of Faith or Prosperity Gospel, and for them, pain is a bad thing. It's a horrible thing. And a God doesn't want you to be in pain. In fact, if you have enough faith or if you learn to reduce your sin, you'll get out of the pain, so they say. That's the promise. On the other side, which is as a as a Christian mystic, sort of what I'm drawn to, you know, neo monastics, Christian mystics, pain is often presented as this really wonderful thing. It's it's this furnace uh, from which you you're refined. It is a teacher. Uh, it can it, there are things you can learn in pain that you'll never learn when you're completely healthy, and so I'm sort of gravitate toward that as well. But in, in some sense, both of those. Uh, perspectives, they're the truth, but they're not the whole truth, so help me God. Because uh, they can, if if, if it's your only way of understanding pain, both of those things can kind of compound pain. You know, it says you got to get out of it, and then you don't get out of it, and you think, does God not love me? Do I not have enough faith? Do I have too much sin? You drive yourself crazy. You can't get out of it. On the other hand, when you tell somebody pain is a good thing, you just learn from it. It has sort of a minimizing effect uh, on those of us who, who don't just live with acute pain, but who have to live with chronic pain that never goes away. And so even though I would say I, my, um, my tendency to name a book would be to really embrace the juxtaposition or the paradoxical nature of the gift that pain brings. On the other hand, having been on the receiving end, in in the depths of my own pain, uh, there's a part of me that would resist titling it something like that because I wouldn't want to compound the pain of somebody for whom pain doesn't seem very much like a gift at all.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to honor the fact that you, you shared some very tender, uh, you know, facts about your upbringing and, uh. But what really struck me about it is, here you are, you're a gay man, you were raised in a, your father was the head of the Southern Baptist Convention, right? You're living inside a world that sounds like if your dad was a three, and this is what threes often do, um, you know, he, they use their family at times, their work as a, a kind of a stage set that, you know, that presents to the world a perfect picture of who they are, right? Um... And so you're growing up in this environment and, you know, the big message that threes get growing up is that it's not okay to have your own feelings and identity. So what on earth was that like? I mean, talk about, you know, sort of low grade or perhaps worse, you know, pain and, and suffering behind the mask.
2: You know, the, the, that question of identity is just is key. I think it's it so relates to my own um, childhood formation because uh, the the church industrial complex, <laughs> the evangelical industrial complex, it, it will force that 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 you you know, it's almost like uh, the presidency.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, you don't get you don't you don't elect a president. You get a family. And the fam, there are there are things that are expected of the, the the family, and and it's interesting because the family didn't have that calling, they didn't have that vocation. It was sort of thrust upon them. Some people do really well with it; they 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 thrive in that. Other people uh, do not. In my case, you know, I was born into something. I didn't choose this life. This is a life I inherited. This is a system that I was born into. With all of its affectations, and the effect on your identity is, is that you are forced to identify yourself in relation to. I'm Dr. Merritt's son. I'm, uh, I'm the I, I'm I'm the pastor's son. I'm Teresa's son. I'm James and and Joshua's brother. I'm a part of this family. I'm always defined in relation to the church, the pastor, the family. The system. And I sort of lived into that because it was expected of me. But the problem was, I began to ask questions two, three decades into my life that most people would ask, should ask in the first decade of their life Who am I? Who's Jonathan Merritt really? When everything else sort of falls away, who am I really? Uh, you know, when I, when I go and somebody says, uh, Hey, hi, how are you? Um, I'm Jim. Well, who are you? I say, I'm Jonathan. They go, oh, okay, tell me about yourself. It's always, uh, I'm a writer. Uh, it's like I'm giving my credentials. And if you strip that away from me and I've, I've done this as sort of a thought experiment, especially I'm, on, I'm, I'm talking to you on sabbatical, which is sort of interesting. I bre- break sabbatical to, to do this interview and, uh, It has been so interesting. I'm up here in upstate New York and I meet people in coffee shops or bars, restaurants. I'm all alone. And somebody will, you know, strike up a conversation. There was a bartender last night, struck up a conversation. And I am withholding professional identifiers. And I will tell you, it's the weirdest thing. I cannot, I'm really struggling to talk through who am I without giving the business card version. And it's because I was never... Uh, I was never able to identify as, uh, as myself without identifying in relation to someone or something else. So I've sort of learned that pattern. And I think in this stage of my life, I'm trying to figure out how to break it. And it's been really hard, to be honest.
0: Mm. You know, Jung speaks a lot about <clears throat> the tragedy uh, of what happens when a child... Uh, has to live the unlived lives of their parents, right? And, you know, I think what what you're describing is very typical of twos, threes, and fours, which is a crisis of identity. All three project masks and images uh, out of a, really, a terror that there's no one behind it. You know, so I'm a four. I I mean, I get this entirely, you know. Um, And so it sounds like that there's a, a, a level of identity instability, you know, uh, a, not, a feeling of not being uh, solid uh, in in uh-huh. in that sense. So so uh, let's just for the heck of it, let, let's let's just try an exercise. Who is Jonathan Merritt behind the credentials? If you I mean, right now in your understanding, it's and by the way, uh, just so I'm clear for folks, I, the word self to me is uh is a verb it's not a noun so everybody's always selfing it's always a sort of in uh, a fluid in process sort of a thing so as of today where are you who are you uh if you had to describe yourself behind the masks
2: well you know it's funny because and this is to, to tear a page out of uh Nowen's playbook but i say this with all sincerity uh you know nowen would say you're God's beloved, but really to embrace my identity as a person of faith, that really is who who I am uh, i I find like at the very very base i I feel like my thoughts, my conversations, my interests, everything goes back to faith, and it's a weird thing for me to say that you know you'd think, oh yeah Jonathan that's that's a that's you that's a t ball answer. But you come
1: from
2: a, you come from a, a community like I did and faith should be the last thing. I, I should have animosity. I should, but I don't, uh, I find I'm a person of faith. I'm a really good friend. You know, I, I, I would never have thought of myself, uh, that way growing up, um, I, I I find I am most of my friends would say um, that I am one of the most thoughtful friends they have, and i've never thought of myself as thoughtful. It feels almost a little bit you know self aggrandizing to say that, but i I always even if i 'm busy if i if I sense that a friend is struggling I 'll ask the question, I go there um, that's a recent development i'd say i'd say in my 20s i was not a good friend uh i saw other people as um assets uh, uh tools
0: you mean in, o- in other words to to advance your career or adva- uh, to enhance your yeah, image advanced.
2: yes my image my social standing the cooler you were the more wealthy you were the more successful you were Uh, I could sort of navigate that. Uh, You know, I I went on, when I graduated from seminary, I went on to become kind of a teaching pastor underneath my dad at his church for four years. And it was like I could walk into the room and identify who the power players were. And I found a way, uh, you know, I'm a three-two wing. Uh, I I, I, I found a way to sort of endear myself to the people who could uh, give me security in the community, and i didn't I, I didn't realize that's what i was doing actually mm-hmm. uh, until until later on much later on but now i've kind of realized oh you were you were not engaging in relationship as much as you were playing relational games there there everybody was sort of a piece on the the chessboard and you know in, in a very weird ironic way many of those many of those people that i treated as pawns have com- have have become some of my greatest friends but it has required it required of me a renegotiation really of seeing relationship as an end and not a means uh, I used to treat relationship as a means but I'd say one of the primary ways I identify I, I I feel like I'm a person of faith I feel like I'm a thoughtful person I really I really like to talk you know there's a famous quote from one of the past first ladies of the United States about uh, to be a deep person, you, you don't just talk about people and you don't just talk about events. You talk about ideas. And I really strive to be that kind of person. I don't just want to say, what did you do today? What did I do today? Uh, who are you mad at? Who are you happy with? I want to talk about ideas. And so I, I really try to be a thoughtful person. So I'd say, who is Jonathan? Really? I'm a person of deep faith. I try to be a thoughtful person, and I try to be a really great friend. And those are three things that I think, and maybe that's a bad answer. You know, I don't even know what a good answer is. That's kind of where I am in this journey. I don't even know what a good answer is. But as I've been working this out in conversations with real people who, quite frankly, they don't don't, don't care who I am or what I've done, those are the three answers that kind of float to the top.
0: Mm. So, you know, going back to this idea of identity and to what you said at the beginning of that answer, which is, you know, sort of of mentioning Henry Nowen's uh, from his wonderful book, Life of the Beloved, you know, and having one's identity uh, rooted in, in that belief. Now, as you know, Henry was a pretty troubled guy you know i mean he was not a happy person and uh, uh and like like i think brendan manning who i you probably knew i knew uh you know whenever you listen to him speak or write you always got the feeling he was trying to convince you of something he did not believe to be true of himself you know what i mean kind of desperate and so and that's what made the writing so urgent you know when you when you read it so i guess my question to you and this is actually for me you're a uh a three you and I, as a four, twos, threes, and fours, all wrestle with shame. Do you really believe be, uh, beyond the intellectual that you are the beloved? Like, you really, honestly believe that in your bones and blood?
2: The, the, the answer to that, the honest answer to that depends on when you ask it. Um, do I right now? I think I do right now. Will I tomorrow? I, I have no idea. I, I, I think it is, you know, I, I had this um, friend of mine. I, I, when I moved to New York, it was an, uh, I moved to New York from Atlanta, and it was an, a shattering experience. Uh, you know, now, in, 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 he says, the three primary lies we tell ourselves. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what other people say about me. Mm-hmm. My life has been lived a, if you if you see the sort of a Venn diagram, my life has been lived at the overlap of those three lies. Uh, I have I, I have I traffic in those three lies. I have my entire life. And when I moved to New York, what I realized is, one, uh, I couldn't be what I do because everybody there is more successful than me. Nobody really cares if you're like, oh, you're like a C minus Christian celebrity. Who cares? You know, I mean, New York's the one place where my career never gets a follow up question. What do you do? I'm a writer. What do you think about the Yankees? It's like nobody goes, oh, you know, anywhere else in like flyover states in the South, they say, oh, my gosh, have you ever written anything I would have read? You become kind of interesting. But in New York, I mean, you know, you meet a writer, they go, oh, cool. Uh, I'm a columnist for the New Yorker. What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I won the National Book Award. I, I, was, at a, I was at a party talking with a guy he won the pulitzer prize in literature this year who am i standing next to that guy so i couldn't i couldn't be the most accomplished person in the room anymore uh i can't be what i have because i'm the only person you know i moved to new york i don't get an income adjustment i i went i dropped down like three notches socioeconomic status moving to new york and nobody talks about me there and nobody cares. You know, if I get trashed on the Gospel Coalition website, nobody in New York even knows what that is. So I had those three pillars were totally demolished. And what I have found is, is that every day it is like I am having to own anew. I I really am. I, I am because God loves me. I, I am, God loves me because God loves me, because God loves me, because God loves me, because God loves me. And there's nothing I can do today that will make God love me an iota more. And there is nothing I can do today that will make God love me one shred less. Mm-hmm. And there are mornings where I say that, I look in the mirror and I say that to myself and I have to be honest, I call myself a liar. I don't, I don't believe it. And there are other days where where there's some kind of crack in who I am and those truths seep in and i believe it for a time but the answer to that question if i'm if i'm just rock level honest with you is it totally depends on when you ask me Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that 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 seems to to resonate with that whole idea of selfing right there's no sort of uh belief or thought that sort of you know is a permanent scarlet thread that runs throughout the whole of one's life right it's always sort of fluid So I want to read you a quote from from Carl Jung. It's on a topic germane to what we've already been discussing and something that's very important in my life right now. And and you you might know it, but I love this. He says, The acceptance of oneself is the essence of the whole moral problem and the epitome of a Mm. whole outlook on life. Now, check out what he says here. That I feed the hungry, that I forgive an insult, that I love my enemy in the name of Christ – All these are undoubtedly great virtues. What I do unto the least of my brethren, that I do unto Christ. But what if I should discover that the least among them all, the poorest of all the beggars, the most impudent of all the offenders, the very enemy himself, that these are within me and that I myself stand in need of the alms of my own kindness, Mm. that I myself am the enemy who must be loved. Mm. What then?
1: Mm. Wow.
0: So this topic of self-acceptance uh, has really sort of captured my my attention in the last few weeks uh, because, obviously, growing up in a, a, in a sort of a faith tradition um, where self-acceptance is not really taught. <laughs> in fact, if anything, you're taught to reject the self, right? How does that, how does that, when you hear that quote from Young, where does that land for you? And what's the, for you as a three, like, have you attained a self acceptance?
2: Oh, man. This is a hard question for me to answer. It's something I'm working through in counseling right now. Um, I. I, my counselor, one of the things that that she has asked me to do is, you know, I I think about, I didn't feel as a child when I was six, seven years old, I didn't feel, I felt like a bad boy, uh, not a good boy. I felt like a mess up with a bad attitude, with anger, couldn't do anything right. And when I think back now, I see a seven-year-old on the street. I see one of my nephews or nieces and I think, what possibly could a child that age do to be worthless? To be what what possibly to be to be a quote bad child? And yet that's how I saw myself. And I think now what I'm really trying to do is is to engage in a process where I, I, I have some old pictures of myself. And I just look at that child and do my best to have a compassion on that child. I was sitting on a plane the other day, and there was a, there's a picture. I posted it on my Instagram account of me in a cowboy outfit. I, I actually, I opened this book talking about, as a child, wanting to be a cowboy when I grew up. And so I'd, I'd walk around my house with my, you know, boots on the wrong feet and spurs on the back end with a gun and a holster on my side. And I look into that the eyes of that cowboy, which in some ways is still a part of me. And I, I, I struggle to accept that person. Uh, I almost have to see the child as something outside of me. To accept it, and I, I think it's because growing up, the notion that that you could uh, accept yourself or to become uh, your quote true self, um, that to me those were those were uh, almost pagan. Uh, they were new age. They were they were off limits. Everything was to be about the glory of God and self actualization, self knowledge self-understanding, those were things we didn't engage in. And so I have to say, this is a new discipline for me. It's a new process. I I I am I'm, I'm just beginning the process of accepting uh, myself, both who both the, 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 the person who I was and the person who I've become. And I, I, I've just started that road. So no I, I don't think I don't think that I can say, oh yeah, I've Jonathan had totally embraces and accepts Jonathan I'm 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 trying every day to do that
0: you know uh, I I just want to read people a quote from that book okay because I love it Uh, and it says a life coach once told me that adults searching for meaning should pursue their childhood dreams which seems a reasonable enough uh, which seems reasonable enough if you fantasized as a kid about becoming a tax attorney or an insurance adjust- adjuster. The principle doesn't work as well for someone like me who dreamed about becoming a cowboy. And that's from your book, From Learning to Speak uh, God from Scratch. And I, I'm reading it actually off of your uh, Instagram feed. So what what is your Instagram feed again? What
2: it's jonathan underscore Merritt.
0: yeah so folks you need to follow because there's all kinds of wonderful stuff on it including including that great quote and a picture by the way that i'm looking at (laughs) of you as look at this as you as a boy growing up and wearing a cowboy outfit it looks like it might have been at the top of the stairs in your home or something like that as a little kid Mm -hmm. well you were a pretty good looking cowboy i would say you know what the heck
2: you know it uh, there are things that i see In the face of that child, that in the eyes of that child, that other people might not notice, Mm -hmm. and um, I I think I think that even as a child, you can almost see in 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 my eyes, there's kind of a questioning. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It's like I'm 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 looking out at the camera and saying, "Do you accept me? Mm -hmm. Do you?" and 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 it, there was it's you can almost see it when you look in in that picture. It was so interesting because when I posted I was like, "Oh, look at this. What a cute picture." And then I went back and revisited it in the context of counseling and it was like I saw it as if for the first time and I was like, "Oh yeah, I know that. I know that child."
0: Mm. That's uh, you know, so folks listening, this is a, obviously self-acceptance is a is difficult for all of us, but it is particularly difficult I think for twos threes and fours in that feeling space um and you know we all i like that there's a as a friend of mine once said you know we're all recovering children Mm. right we're all recovering children and one of the spiritual practices i often uh encourage people to do is find a picture of themselves when they were little and then uh, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, stole this from the, the Buddhists. It's a wonderful prayer that, you know, we can use in a, in a Christian context if we choose. It's called, it's called the Maitri prayers, M-A-I-T-R-I. So you would imagine yourself or looking at a picture and you would repeat a formulary something like this. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have uh, uh, healing. And may you have rest. So those five sentences, those are the five that I use. There are variants of it. So may you have love, may you have joy, may you have peace, may you have healing, may you have rest. Because I do think the part of the journey, very important, and again, Carl Jung, is integrating back, reclaiming and integrating that splintered child that got thrown into the shadow, large pieces of him that, that need to be, you know, owned again. Fantastic. So I I'm, I'm I'm really glad that you that you, you brought that up. So right now in your life, uh, what is it that wants to enter the world through you?
2: Boy, that's a great that's a great question. I mean, I I you know, I think about again my 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 chief impulse is always profession.
1: Mm-hmm. Cuz
2: I got to write another book. So what's the next book going to be? Um, I, and I'm trying not to, that just, that just sort of winds me up. That sort of gets me going. I think, uh, what I'm, what I'm, where I am at this stage of life is I'm trying to focus less on, on what should be entering the world through me and more what should be entering me through the world. Mm. In other words, I'm, I am. I feel like as a three, uh, my hands are always grasping something, doing something. They're always hard at work. And it is for me a – I have a a Jesuit spiritual director – and they have, a, they have a Latin phrase for the spiritual practice of basically doing the thing you least want to do, Yes, that the thing you least want to do is the thing that you most need to do. That's why I'm on sabbatical. People have been telling me I need to take sabbatical. So I, I hate it. I despise it. It was the hardest thing. It was scary. I cried the first night, uh, but I knew I needed to do it and that, that God often meets us on the path that we least want to walk. So I, I find that the le- the thing I want to do the least is to sit with hands that are open and to receive. Mm. Not to not to feel like not to not to have my my life marked by what I've given to the world today, but instead allow it to be shaped by what I have received from the world or through the world today? What is it that God is bringing into my life today? What is it that people, the people that I'm meeting are bringing in uh, to my life today? And that is a hard uh, thing for me to do in part because the metric doesn't work. It's like, wait, no, if, if all you've done today is receive, there's no value. Right? You you haven't achieved. You haven't given. You haven't produced. And it's a really it's it's been a struggle for me to say no. But think about this. I I had a great conversation today. I received I received love from friends who checked in on me. Uh, I I had a conversation with my mom, and it meant something. And I received encouragement from her. I got I got permission today. My, I have a friend who's allowing me to, to use her home. Uh, she gave me permission today not to go out and buy things for the house, not to go out. She said, you know what? No, I've drop shipped that. You don't need to do anything for me. Just stay there and enjoy yourself and sit by the fire and watch the snowfall. And to receive that as mm-hmm. as something of value rather than just kind of a passive thing of no value That's a, that's a, that's a struggle for me.
0: So um, let's go back to that, that child, you know, then the cowboy suit at the top of the staircase that I'm looking at here on Instagram. And, you know, if you could go back in time and uh, have a conversation with that, with that child, knowing that you're a three, right? So through that lens, um, what, what do you think you would tell what would you like that child to know that he didn't?
2: You know, um, there's a there's a, a a couple of things. I'll give you the unhealthy impulse, and then I'll give you the more healthy okay, impulse. Great. the The first thing that you give that that comes to mind, and I've had people ask that that question to me, I had a counselor ask that of me, is. Uh, this this is a child that wanted to be seen, he wanted to be known, he wanted to be accepted, he wanted to be celebrated, and he never really felt like he received any of those things. Mm. And here I am, if I had told that child, hey, guess what? One day, your article is going to be on the cover of the New York Times Sunday Review. Hey, guess what? One day, you're going to write not one book, but four books— one day you're gonna do something in this world, and you're gonna earn those things. I I think it would have helped me to maybe relax a little bit. <laughs> right. I wouldn't have believed it, but I think it would have helped me to relax mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, that'd be the more the unhealthy, <laughs> the unhealthy part. Uh, the healthy thing is underneath all of that was this message that 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 i i sort of constantly told myself which is i'm alone it's all on me i i have to go i have to do and and the there there has always been the weight of the world on my shoulders that 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 achievement that acceptance that Uh, to be seen, that to be celebrated is something I have to go out and I have to do something that is so remarkable that I will earn all of those things. And I wish I could tell that that child, you're you're not actually uh, alone, that at all those critical junctures in life, someone will come that will be there to catch you when you fall, Mm. that will be there to walk with you when you need someone to be walking that path with you. There will be somebody to offer the word, to offer the help, and it's it's okay. You are not alone. I think if somebody would have just told me that, um, it would have been, and I could have received it, that's the other thing, <laughs> could I have received it? And I could have, I, I'm to the point now where I'm receiving that that I have a community that is carrying the load with me and that I have to intentionally let them carry uh, some of the heaviness that I want to carry myself, man, that just, that, that, that just creates space to exhale, uh, space to let go, space to release. And I I I think that that if that child knew that he didn't have to do it all on his own, that would have just released a lot of pressure. Mm.
0: So I, I, as you were saying that, I was thinking about the, the Mr. Rogers documentary, which I, I just, did, I'm sure you saw it. And I, I you know, I got to say, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, you know, I cried through about 40% of the movie. Uh, and, yeah, same, but, yeah, same. And he was talking about, I think, uh, you know, around the time of nine eleven, but previously, but it was very poignant uh, around nine eleven. He that his mom used to tell him that in times of trouble, always look for the helpers. Always look for the helpers. And, man, what you just said, I think, is, is you know, always look for that community uh, that will c- help carry you. I think, you know, uh, there are plenty of times uh, I've gone to church and, and you know, uh, in a really rough spot. Uh, and you know i you know uh, i can remember 30 years ago when i first was get was getting sober i went to church and i you know we got to the creed <laughs> you know and i was like i just i'm saying this but i really don't believe it and i, I told my priest that later and he said well that's why you come into a community you, you, you in those times you just rent the faith of the person standing next to you and let them say it for you. And uh, that, that was incredibly helpful. All right, we got we to gotta close up. You got to get back to sabbatical, the misery of a three-on <laughs> sabbatical, nothing to do. And I want to make sure that you have as much misery as you possibly can. I want you to repeat those, that now and quote again, because I, I, I want threes to really hear it. Could you just give it again?
2: You're talking about the lies that we tell yes, ourselves. Yes, the
0: lies we tell ourselves. yeah
2: the three the three primary lies we tell ourselves is i am what i do i am what i have and i am what other people say about me good and the tr- the transformation there is getting to the place where you can truly look in the mirror and say i am god's beloved
0: holy smokes I mean, that those three lies, I want every three, I'm going to do it because I think it's for all of us, but but I want every three to go and write those three down on a three by five card, staple it, no, nail gun it to your forehead, <laughs> you know, and in every room in your house, because those. that's about as good a, a summary of the lies... That threes really carry.
2: Well, and and I'll tell you, I do I take the kind of the negative version of it. I have to say to myself, I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I am not what other people say about me. I am God's beloved.
0: Well, that's the perfect place to stop. That that's a that's a big truth bomb there. So Jonathan, your 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 new book. Learning to Speak God from Scratch uh, came out August 18th. How do people find out more about you?
2: Well, you can go to com. You can follow me on uh, social media. And of course, you can, as they say, you can you can get my book wherever fine books are sold. I don't know where the crappy books are sold, but I guess it's not sold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not sold there. But wherever fine books are sold, you can get it at Amazon, anywhere.
0: Well, listen, um, in closing, I, I want to say that uh, I hope we meet face-to-face one day, and I uh, sincerely hope that I would, based on this conversation, have the privilege of being a part of that community of support uh, and friendship for you. And uh, because this has been uh, really a deeply affecting uh, conversation, I have a four-hour drive to St. Louis ahead of me today, and you've given me more than enough to think about uh, on that journey. So so thank you for, for being on with us.
2: Oh, thank you, friend. The, the pleasure is all mine.
0: Thank you. And listen, uh, everybody, uh, as I am uh, want to say, remember the words, of the great Oscar Wilde, be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. See you later.